Welcome to the Wander Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Francis Tapon. In this episode, I interview Jordan Schimmel, who is the host of the Travel Tribe X podcast. Don't forget the X when you're searching for it on your podcast player. He is somebody who has interviewed over 40 people on his podcast and all travel related. I want to kind of suck up his wisdom. That I'll be doing in the next episode. But in this particular episode, we dive into his personal story, especially in his time in South Korea. He spent a lot of time there got a lot of wisdom, a lot of interesting stories, and we dive into that. Talk about male-female relationships, we talk about the way they interact, what are some of the lessons he learned. And before we get into that whole South Korea stuff, we also talk about some general life lessons about overcoming the fear of going for travel and, and when you should put things on your calendar, perhaps as a motivation to just do it, or when to tell other people, hey, I'm going to be embarking on this crazy trip. So pick up these words of wisdom from Jordan. Here we go. Over the last uh, 10 years, actually on January 1st, uh, 2013, I left the U.S. uh, to embark on what I thought would be a one-year trip uh, to teach English in South Korea. Uh, And since that time, I've still been going strong teaching abroad in in South Korea, teaching in Poland. Uh, I did a global MBA program. Um, I was a scuba dive instructor in Thailand. I started an online business. Uh, was in China for these trade fairs. And during these whole 10 years, I kept meeting interesting people from around the world uh, who had these crazy stories, whether they were living on a small island in, 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 in Thailand for the last 10, 15 years, or they just moved to, to China to start some kind of consulting business. And so meeting all these people, I thought this fascinating that they were doing these crazy things, um, you know, embarking on different journeys, uh, kind of throwing themselves out there into the world while, uh, you know, the, the traditional path here in the U.S. Uh, was everyone just gets their nine to five, which is what I was doing for a while. And so I really wanted to share these stories um, with my podcast. And so um, one of the first things I, 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 I see uh, from, from people is there's kind of some inspiration. There's something that they, they really want to do, some kind of voice in the back of their head. Maybe they see a video online. Maybe uh, they overhear someone talking about something cool, but there's a voice back in their head that say, hey, I really want to try this, or hey, I really want to see this, or hey, I really want to leave my comfort zone. Um, and it's, it's, it's finally coming to terms with, with saying, okay, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and embark on this journey. But with that comes a massive, massive amounts of fear um, because you're stepping outside of your comfort zone. Uh, even in my own uh, personal story, when I left for South Korea, uh, I remember that what happened for me was I did it. I, I signed up to teach six months in advance and I told my friends and everyone's like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. And I was like, yeah, it's going to be awesome. You know, Gangnam Style just came out and I was like, oh, it's going to be so great to live in Korea. But a month before, I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> I know nothing about South Korea. I have no idea what the weather is like. I have no idea even where on the map where it is, which is kind of crazy to think about now. Um and I didn't know anything about it. And it's when, when panic struck. But it, I think it was because I had done it. Uh, one, one thing I have found, at least personally for me, is when I want to do something that kind of seems like um, a little bit, let's say, kind of makes me feel uncomfortable. If I book it in advance, three, six, nine months in advance, uh, then it doesn't become like I don't think about it so much. And then all of a sudden it happens and I have to go through the, through the motion. So I kind of commit myself to it in advance as a way to kind of get over that fear. Is that kind um, of a tip that you would say to people that they should just put it in their damn calendar and just say, hey, dude, put it in? 
Absolutely. Like for me, if I said, hey, I'm going to go teach in, in Korea in two weeks, uh, I would freak out. I would never do it. I would say, no way. I don't know anything about it. But since I put it off in my head, uh, six months advance, it doesn't feel like it's going to happen. And then when it finally starts coming time, to you have to start actually planning things out and seeing where things go. Um, so that's kind of one thing, one strategy I use if there's things I want to do. Same with, for example, I started really getting into endurance races, uh, marathons. Sign up for it. Like it's in five, six months. I just finished the Chicago Marathon this Sunday, um, and 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 all of a sudden you're like, ah, it's not so bad. Marathon will be fun. But on Sunday, on mile 22, I was like, never again am I doing this ever again. So that's kind of one trick. One trick I use uh, is to kind of just things that I really want to do. I'll write them down, um, and I'll just kind of put them in my calendar and kind of commit myself to it in advance. And then and then it'll kind of start coming up. So I have to plan for it. Um, but, another but, th- strategy oh, for, yeah, go ahead. Hold on. But a lot of people are procrastinators. And so mm-hmm. is that strategy of, you know, let's say I want to do a marathon or I want to go to Tahiti in six months. I mean, a lot of people will po- postpone things until last minute. So that may not work for them. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's one thing as well. I think the other thing I do, uh, which I don't know if is a good idea or not, but I'll tell a lot of people about it. So I'll tell more friends uh, and the more people start, uh, you know, talking about it, asking me about it because people get interested about it, then it becomes a thing. And then now there's like too much. <laughs> it's like social suicide. If you if I tell everyone, hey, I'm going to go teach to South Korea uh, on January 1st and on January 2nd, I'm still in Chicago. That is social suicide. I would hate to tell them like, no, I I chickened out. So I think kind of adding the kind of realizing how your mind works and adding that pressure. I do the same thing with the marathon. When I sign up for it, I'll tell everyone about it. Um, and then it adds pressure to me that kind of like, hey, this kind of keeps me accountable to make sure that I do what I what I was set out to do, you know. Were you able to do it under five hours? <laughs> yeah, I was. Okay. I was. I just got it right around four hours. Um, oh, but awesome. I think mile 22 to 26, I was just a floating ghost. Uh, you I were was walking? just like, I was dead. Uh, no, I was, I was, I would call it the lightest jog possible, one <laughs> foot after another. <laughs> exactly. My, one of my, I think it was my first marathon I ran. And then I remember at mile 22 or something, I thought a woman, I swear she was probably like 65, she started running past me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. And I was like 30 years old. I was like, okay, this is humiliating. <laughs> yeah. But it, the, the marathon is such a great experience. I was just here in Chicago. It's about 50,000 runners. And, you know, you have all the street, the, the streets are just filled with people and you go through all these cool neighbors. It's such a, it's such a great energy. And, uh, it's one way I also have, uh, recently started to travel, um, throughout uh, the world as well as using these endurance races. So last year, one of my favorite races I did was the uh, authentic, Athens Authentic Marathon. Um, and that race is from the city of Marathon, Greece, to uh, Athens. And that was also a lot of fun. I actually dressed up as a Spartan warrior with a huge mask and the cape. Um, and it's just, it's just a great way to experience the culture um, and get the f- a vibe of the people. The people are all out there cheering you on. Um, you know, I got a chance to go visit the Parthenon and, and do all the things in Athens the day before. So it's, it's a really cool way to kind of give some purpose behind your travels when you start doing these five, 10 Ks, half marathons, marathons, in different cities. I think it's a phenomenal way to, to travel and see the world. So I interrupted you. You were going to say, make a second point. I don't know if you still remember it. Yeah. The second one, uh, I, I, cause I think fear is the biggest thing that's holding people back, you know, and, and I see this with friends here. Ooh, I'm actually just back in Chicago and they have never left. And they always ask me, you know, what's, you know, they're always so interested in what I did. And I just know the difference between me and them was that I, 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 
I was able to push past that fear and, you know, kind of throw myself in the deep end. Um, but the second thing is, is like fear setting, right? So I remember when I was leaving for Korea, it's another thing I did as well was I kind of told myself, what's the worst thing that can happen, you know? And the worst thing that could have happened is I went to Korea the Koreans hate me. They despise me. They throw tomatoes at me. Uh, you know, the food sucks. It's cold. It's miserable. Uh, and then worst thing happens in one week, I go home and say, well, that was clearly not a good idea. You know, nothing happens. Um, but usually what ends up happening is people realize, wow, that, you know, there was some reason why I wanted to do this. And it ends up being 10x as great as you thought it would be, you know, Korea for me was such a phenomenal experience to try a, a whole new cuisine, the culture. I just loved how collective it was, you know, just going to order food. Uh, for me, it, it was just so cool that, you know, we, we go out to eat, we don't just say, Hey, I want a big Mac and, or, and I have fries and it just comes from me. We, we order as a group and we eat together. And I just, I really love the community aspect of, of South Korea. How long were you there total? I was there three and a half years. Okay, wow. So then tell us something about South Korean culture that is, was not entirely obvious when you first moved there, that it took you maybe months to learn. That wasn't obvious. Um, like, so, for example, one thing is, you know, mm -hmm. this collective ordering at a restaurant. That's one thing that's kind of interesting uh, that, you know, it's not mm -hmm. like we look at, I want this, you want that, you know, like you order as a team. Um, so that's one interesting thing. But could you have seen, I don't know what year you were there, but you know, like all of a sudden K-pop just has taken off and all sorts of other South Korean, you know, mega hits that they've really dominated the culture recently. Could you see that coming? And, and why is it taking off, for example? That's a great question. You know, when I was there, I talked about this with other people that you can feel the energy there. And at that time, still, no one really knew about Korea. K-pop wasn't a thing. K-beauty wasn't a thing. Uh, Korean movies like Parasite weren't a thing. Like Korea really wasn't on the map other than uh, Gangnam Style with Psy. Uh, and Samsung and LG, yeah, and all these things. But Hyundai. still, people would, I think if you ask the typical American, they probably wouldn't even know that Samsung or uh, Hyundai are Korean. They're just like, oh, it's somewhere Asian. Um, but uh, from my understanding is the Korean government had put aside a percentage of their GDP to invest in Korean products as a cultural um, export. So uh, because Korea is landlocked, they don't have a lot of resources. They put a lot of money into their education. Um, and then they also Wait, wanted on, to start. Ex South, Korea is, South Korea is not landlocked. Sorry, not landlocked. I, I apologize. A peninsula. Sorry. I apologize. Okay, yeah. mm -hmm. It's a peninsula. Uh, they well, don't have a lot of uh, resources. You that you didn't know where it was, so I was just trying to <laughs> confirm that. <laughs> was, was I even there? Was I even there? <laughs> it's between Kyrgyzstan and China, right? <laughs> right, right? Yeah. And you were saying to yourself, like, this this water all around me, it must be fake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're so good at that. Um but from, from what I understood is that they put a lot of uh, their money into uh, st wanting to invest in Korea and col Korean culture as an export product. Um, so, you know, what happened in the last 10 years is, you know, K-pop became super popular. I mean, people all around the world, I mean, middle schoolers, everyone listens to BTS and all these different bands. Back then, like there was just K-pop was just popular in Korea. It was like people would laugh at, at, at K-pop and now it's like a thing. Uh, K-beauty, you know, the, the beauty scene in Korea is really, really important. They have a lot of plastic surgery, but their cosmetics are really, really good. Um, and that's like in so many different pharmacies and, and beauty shops around the world. We have, of course, uh, Korean movies, Parasite and all these different movies that have become popular. Korean um, TV series. Uh, what was that? That was, uh, uh, was the one that was super uh, not Death Squad. What's it called? Uh, oh, my gosh. 
No. Squid Games, that's it. My gosh. It's so cool to watch and just to yeah. see Korea in the background. Um, and it's kind of cool how this small country, I mean, Korea is pretty small, uh, has become such a huge influence throughout the entire world. I was listening so. to this other, I was reading an article about how the demographics of Korea is really going to shrink because they have 1.2 children per female, the fertility rate. And China's even less than that, something like that. And so I just wonder, like, here they are, K-pop, they are the it's the youth that's driving a lot of this revolution but their youth mm -hmm. is going to disappear or vanish i mean not completely obviously but it's going to be much smaller i wonder if they're going to be able to sustain that level of creativity when they are going to have half as many young people in just a generation yeah uh, the the birth rate is really, really low in korea and japan um and i think it has a lot to do with the the living situation in Korea. I mean, people are working really, really hard over there. Uh, education is really expensive. One of the things they value a lot in Korea is is education. So the, these parents put all this money into private education for the kids. They're just working all day long. Um, and so the, the people, young kids, they start thinking about having children. They're like, well, why would I want to put myself into a situation where, you know, I have to work all the time for these kids. And so, uh, that's one factor. I think another factor is that people worry about their careers, especially women who are in the business, um, uh, industry that, you know, there's like employers that are asking, you know, when you plan to have children, do you have a boyfriend, something like that, which isn't very common in the U S I think it's actually illegal, but there I, I was working with business students who told me that, that that's a question that they, they face. Um, but to also answer your question you asked earlier, one thing I learned, uh, that, that I didn't understand was how hard they worked. Uh, I remember getting there and I would ride the, the, the subways and people would just kind of look like, like lifeless in their eyes coming home at 10 o'clock because I'd be working pretty late as well. Students that were 11, 12 years old in my class were falling asleep. And I was like, why are they sleeping? Like, it's, it's so, you know, at first I was like, oh, it's disrespectful. You should be sleeping in class. And I realized they're just studying all night. You know, they, they go, these students from go to school from like eight to four or eight to three thirty. Then they go to their, uh, the private school. So it's like, it's called the Hagwon. So from four to seven, they go to the first Hagwon. So they're learning stuff for next year. So they're learning math for next year or science for next year, or they're learning English, Japanese or guitar or whatever. Then from seven to 10, they go to their second one. Uh, and then they come home, they have homework from their normal school, from their private academies that they're doing till, till you know, late at night. And then in the morning they go back to school, do it again. So I think seeing how hard they work, um, was to me probably one of the biggest kind of eye openers. And what happens when you live in an environment, you end up kind of adapting to it as well. I remember I was working like two or three jobs uh, was well when I was in Korea, just constantly just teaching, constantly working and doing different side gigs. And uh, yeah, it's it's crazy how that kind of the, the, your environment influences you, and you end up just being like like just just like work everyone else. So. Yeah, I mean, Ghana should be listening to this very carefully because in 1950s, Ghana's GDP per capita was equal to South Korea. And today, mm -hmm. South Korea is eight or nine times greater on a GDP per capita than Ghana. I mean, they just totally blew them away. And why? Look at what you just described. You just you just gave mm -hmm. the answer. I mean, they're just working their asses off far more mm -hmm. than any other country, probably. And it's yeah. they're, they're reaping the benefits of that investment in their brains and in their uh, their infrastructure and everything they've done. Of course, there's probably a price to pay for that, all that stuff. Now, tell me this, is is is, are, is there a sexist society? Does it still exist there that women are pretty much subservient to men still or is that changing? 
You know what? I haven't been there in a while. Uh, I haven't been there in almost seven years, but I used to work with business students and uh, he- hearing about some of the practices they have, uh, like, for example, putting pictures on, you know, your resume, you know, how you know managers are kind of hiring people. Uh, you know, workers based on their looks. I, I was dating actually a girl who was trying to be, this is actually kind of interesting. At the time, um, th- I was dating this girl and she told me that at the time in Korea, the hottest job for a female was to be a flight attendant. Like they really, really wanted it to be it. And so she went to this uh, flight attendant, like private academy, and they would tell her like, change your hair color a little bit darker brown. Now change it black. And they just kind of kept like, you know, this appearance thing, it must be really difficult for them based on, on how their look uh, to get a job. Uh, the other thing I was talking about earlier was I had a couple of business students as well who told me, you know, when they're, when they're looking for jobs, you know, the, 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 the employers are asking, you know, do you have a boyfriend? Are you going to have, do you plan to have children anytime soon? So, you know, those are kind of policies that seem a little bit, uh, unfair compared, compared to males, but it does seem when I was there, that it was kind of, yeah, more of a male dominated, um, society, uh, at least in the traditional sense, you know, the younger, younger kids, you know, they had a chance to kind of go study abroad, uh, just go see the world. But the, the traditional sense was kind of, yeah, a, a strong male dominated society what was different dating a korean woman versus let's say an american for example <laughs> the story is actually funny i um i met this girl while i was hiking we both got lost and uh next thing i knew we were kind of hanging out and i invited her to, her, to his wedding um had a couple many two drinks too many drinks that night and uh, she's like do you want to be my boyfriend i was like of course i want to be your boyfriend that sounds fantastic she's like you're not going to forget about it i'm like of course i'm not going to <laughs> and uh the next morning she messaged me she's like good morning boyfriend i hope you didn't forget um <laughs> so i was like whoa that was quick um but i think uh, the difference was um Korea society, at least when I was there, is very couple oriented. So it's like when you go to the movie theater, they have like popcorn sets for couples. When you go to the baseball game, you go in couples, you wear the same outfit. Like it's such a it's such a couple oriented society. Uh, it's, I wouldn't. Yeah, it's kind of like if you're by yourself, like something kind of like like off, you know, you should always everything's based on being together and being in couples. And so they really like to spend time together. Uh, I would say it's more intense than kind of the independence and freedom that we have in the U.S. of kind of having like your own space uh, compared to them. Does that break down once they get married or do they stay very tight couples? Uh, I think it stays uh, at least the, 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 the friends that I know that they have is the they, they definitely still spend a lot of time together. Um, yeah, it's a little bit different. I think you lose the, they lose the, the honeymoon phase where they're excited to see each other, but still. I don't know how they do it when they're all working so hard. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what it is. Maybe they have, they're kind of all at work uh, during the daytime. And that ends this episode of the Wander Learn podcast where we explore travel, technology, and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we've talked about, go to wanderlearn.com and click on this episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember F Tapon. That's my first initial and my last name. F Tapon is always my social media username. My website is ftapon.com. Do you want to leave me an anonymous voicemail where you can make a comment or ask a question? Then go to speakpipe.com slash ftapon. Furthermore, if you'd like to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash ftapon. That's where you can pick up some remarkable rewards for as little as $2 a month. Now, five quick favors. Number one, subscribe to the WanderLearn podcast. Two, download it. Three, share it. Four, review it. And five, sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. 
Our theme music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is France Tabon encouraging you to wander and learn. Thank you.